dignity, security, freedom, freedom, respect, justice, 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 equality, equality, remedy and protection, fairness, fair trial, right, work, peace, movement, Good day, and welcome to Human Rights Radio, hosted by Amnesty International volunteers who are a worldwide movement of people dedicated to the promotion of human rights and the safety of all human beings. We're building a world in which every person enjoys the rights included in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and other human rights standards. Our theme song is titled, 30 Words, The Universal Declaration of Human Rights written and performed by R.E.M. and a collection of musicians from around the world. I'm Jim Hutchings, and with me is co-host Gord Barnes and our special guest, Peter Ta, who is from Cameroon and has reported from there as a freelance journalist for the BBC World Service. Today, we're going to discuss Cameroon, review some history of how it came into being, why there is a divide between French-speaking and English-speaking Cameroon citizens, and why there is so much conflict there today. Welcome, Peter and Gord. Well, thank you, Jim, and uh, a special welcome to you, Peter. Uh, we're really honored to have you as a guest when you've got so much experience reporting uh, on the human rights issues uh, in Cameroon on behalf of the BBC and and also just your experience in terms of and knowledge. So welcome to the program. I wonder if you'd like to begin, Peter, by uh, just short, sort of setting uh, the framework for our listeners about where Cameroon is in, in Africa uh, relative to its neighbors, and, uh, and that probably helps in terms of people having an understanding of some of the, the other issues that we're going to be talking about later. Thank you, uh, God, and thank you, Jim, for having me. I'm so excited to be on the program, and of course, I am a strong supporter of the work Amnesty International is doing, and to connect with Amnesty Saskatchewan is just a very exciting feeling for me. Uh, to talk about Cameroon, uh, you know, it's one of the f- 54 countries in Africa, and Cameroon has its own share of problems just like any other country, but more recently we've seen a political crisis that is tearing the country apart. But if we go back to look at what Cameroon is, how this country was formed, uh, maybe just to situate uh, us a little bit, Cameroon is found in Central Africa. Uh, initially or formally it was in West Africa, uh, but it's now uh, ident- being identified with West, uh, Central Africa. And for a very, very long time, this country was, you know... Uh, enjoyed peace like it was the only peaceful country in a region that was hard hit by crisis political crisis and even economic crisis and so um, if we go back to history uh, to see how Cameroon came into being we realize that it, it was 
I mean, basically two uh, uh, former colonies, that is the British uh, control section of Cameroon, that was Southern Cameroons and the French uh, uh, former uh, protectorate of uh, which was the French Cameroon that came together in 1961 to form uh, a country uh, based on a federal system and so that is how this country Cameroon was born and so over time it has taken various names and most often to the dismay of English speaking Cameroonians who failed marginalized in a system that was supposed to grant equality to all citizens whether French speaking or English speaking despite of whether they are in the minority or in the majority because obviously the English speaking Cameroonians are in the minority they form 20% of the population of uh, and of course Cameroon now is about 24 million so uh, there is this huge divide uh, over how resources have been managed over time and how English speaking Cameroonians have failed assimilated in the French uh, majority government and how their identity is kind of being lost in the process of of, of this marginalization and a, and a form of um, assimilation. So we've we've had of recent the English speakers coming out to express dissent over this form of marginalization and what many have called assimilation. I'm just curious, I, I, reading a little bit about uh, the government there, and did I read that right, that this is the seventh seven-year term that the uh, the present, the, the sitting president is, is running for? He, he's been in power for 42 years? Yes, he's been in power for 42 years, and as president he's been... Uh, he's been president for 36 years so that is a very long time for one person to be in power and over this time you know he has tried to uh, kind of bring in so many reforms but they've largely failed because core issues have not been addressed uh, especially when it comes to the form of state Cameroon was a federal system and then came into you know uh, to the state in which we are now where you know they basically scrape out the federal system and that kind of really you know brought uh, disgruntlement among the English speakers and so over time they failed that you know he's not lived up to the expectations the former president Amadia he obviously started this way of uh, ensuring that Cameroon is one in terms of uh, uh, just wiping out that federal state, uh, federal system. But also there was a great expectation from this current president, Paul Bia, uh that he would revive the economy of Cameroon. And he came under the ticket of uh, rigor and moralization. And over time, he's talked about many other things. Uh, and his politics has been a politics of ensuring that Cameroon is one and indivisible in spite of or whether people are pleased in that union, in that system mm -hmm. or not. And so um, I would say from my own observation that largely he's been criticized for not, you know, kind of reunifying the people, uh, but much more bringing the much needed uh, development to the country that badly needs it. What's basically the source of the country's wealth? Uh, um, he's obviously got money for armed forces and weapons and all that sort of thing. Where is he getting his money from? Uh, yeah, uh, Cameroon is a very blessed country. Uh, it's been largely referred to as Africa in miniature uh, because in Cameroon you've got basically everything that you would find in every other African country. So you've got lots of raw materials, you've got gold deposits, uh, you know, you've got iron ore, you've got plantations rubber, pl uh, banana, you've got palm uh, plantations and coffee, cocoa. So this is a very rich country and like I said before, the problem has been how these resources have been managed over time. The problem of corruption and uh, the problem of tribalism, nepotism has ripped this country apart, a country that would have you know, stood out among other countries in this region and really be celebrated for mm -hmm. development, development that brings 
you know that that ensures that everyone else is satisfied in 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 the country has largely been absent for the past uh, four or five decades. Yeah. So, so one of the basic problems then is one that we see world over, where you you end up with a situation where you've got a few really rich people and lots of really poor people, and uh, the, the rich people have the power. Yeah. Yeah. And sad enough, the rich people making money off of the current uh, situation, you know, while you have people who are living in precarious conditions, poverty, uh, and of course, you know, with 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 the trump of uh, trump of uh, 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 problems of marginalization, like in the English speaking regions, you see the, the, the those rich people continue to get rich as as they exploit the situation. Right, basically, yeah. Do do you have many? Um, I'm trying to search for the phrase, but like sort of fair players, people who who basically want, uh, you know, the best for the whole country. I think over time we've had people, uh, especially politicians, who've come out and have presented, uh, you know, like a roadmap of how they can revive Cameroon and how they can make Cameroon what he used to be and such people have been rare over the past couple of years and um, I would say that the government doesn't really like such people uh, because they are considered as a threat um, uh, because you know this government is willing to do anything to stay in power and so anyone who comes out preaching something different and possibly uh, you know appearing as though they could actually do something good, something different is seen as a threat. And, and is also seen as someone who uh, might, you know, dis- destabilize that, you know, the, the power called in, 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 in the establishment. And so such people are not, are not loved at all, you know, to say, to say the least. So the, there are people there that have the vision of a united, uh, fair Cameroon, but they're just not in power at the moment. Yeah, there are people who have who want to see Cameroon r- remain united, but like you know, like I said, the problem is really how do you keep people united when uh, a section of the population has been disgruntled for over five decades and nothing has been done, uh, nothing significant, nothing sustainable has been done to uh, reach out to them. And ensure that they can, you know, continue to remain engaged, even politically. Because what we see now is uh, that more and more people are disengaged when it comes to political participation mm-hmm. in Cameroon. And it's even worse in the English-speaking regions where you have a, a crisis that escalated in, the, in 2016, uh, where people don't want to... Uh, even discuss political issues, uh, issues of maybe elections and and other you know forms of political participation. People are distancing themselves, and this is as we will be discussing because of the way the government has treated its own citizens. Yeah, just noticing here, uh, I've got a, a an urgent action from Amnesty International uh, uh, about uh, Franklin Moha who is an activist, and uh, he seems to be one of these people who is actually trying to bring people together. That's the impression that I get here. And he went down to where the troubles are and promptly disappeared. Yeah, I think he was one of those people who uh, became a victim of the ongoing crisis in Cameroon. And when we talk about a crisis for those who are listening, uh, it would be good for us to, to, to kind of explain what this is about. Like I said from the onset, Cameroon, uh, the English-speaking Cameroon, that is uh, Southern Cameroon, and uh, of course uh, French Cameroon that was already independent in 1960, the 
uh, accepted to form a union in 1961 and became a country, the United Republic of Cameroon. But over time, the English speakers uh, have felt marginalized. And so in 2016, uh, the lawyers and the teachers came out uh, to the streets to uh, decry for them what they termed or considered as further marginalization when they observed that more and more the government was sending French-speaking judges and teachers to English-speaking uh, courts and schools who couldn't uh, effectively uh, uh, handle things, you know, the way they should be handled. Judges who didn't understand the common law, the English common law, and mm -hmm. teachers who couldn't understand the, uh, the English uh, mm -hmm. system of education. And so these they were met with heavy a heavy heavy crackdown by the government and this kind of radicalized people uh, you know from 2017 we started to see armed groups and people who uh started to talk about you know cessation uh seceding from the french majority government and forming their own state called ambazonia and these crackdowns in tw 20 late 2017 led to the killing of over uh 20 people and so we've we moved into 2018 and the crisis escalated when there was a deadlock uh starting 2017 into 2018 a deadlock in 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 dialogue and so uh these two regions have become very restive uh there've been lots of killings lots of kidnappings lot of lots of burnings uh, both by the government and the uh, government uh, security forces and the separatist okay, fighters, yeah. and so this guy you're talking about uh, went down to the field to investigate mm -hmm. and to document to try to document some of these uh, human rights infringements okay. by the government and the separatist fighters, and uh, probably uh, was kidnapped, and and so th that is the extent to which you know the. The p both parties involved in this crisis uh, mm -hmm. uh, can go to kind of hide uh, the human rights violations that are going on currently in Cameroon. Do you think there's a long-term strategy on the part of the government now just to extinguish the, the English-speaking rights and just to try to bulldoze the whole thing? Because they're even burning down schools. Yeah. Um, I think this is a very fairly complex thing when we talk about extinction because I know we've heard many groups talk about you know a kind of genocide going on in in southern Cameroon, uh, and we've we've seen actually whole villages burnt down. Um, there are uh, rights bodies that have documented. Uh, over 200 villages that have been completely burnt down. And, and this, unfortunately, this, is, yeah, this is being done by government security forces. Yes, by government security forces. These burnings have, have you know, unfortunately, like uh, you know, like I said, it's it's sad that the government can't reach out to its own people, and that the government can crack down on its own people in this way in an attempt to quell um, this secessionist movement and the sad thing is that in some of the buildings that have been burned people have been burned alive in these buildings people who uh, are old and couldn't escape or those who decided to stay some of them have been arbitrarily arrested some have been tortured some have been um, imprisoned and some have been held in communicado in you know detention centers and you know you you see a government that um is preaching peace in the face of international uh, outcry and in the face of the international community but on the other hand is uh exercising a heavy-handed approach towards its own citizens um i think in an attempt to you know kind of flush out the armed movements that have uh, sprouted. The government has been very indiscriminate in in the crackdown, and this is this is really sad uh, when you watch people going homeless. Over uh, 430,000 people are internally displaced in Cameroon, as has been reported by Human Rights Watch, and over 30,000 people are refugees in Nigeria, and you have. Many more people who 
are going to become homeless as we speak. Just a couple of, I think yesterday, there were villages that were burnt in a, in a, city, in a town called Kumbu. And people have gone homeless. Mm-hmm. Of at least 10 houses were burnt. And at least a civilian was killed. But on the side of the separatists, we've also seen that they're stopping schools from, from going, which is also a human rights violation. And we have to point this out because you can't stop children from going to school. This has been the third year running. Schools are shut down and in an attempt to enforce their uh, school boycott, they've, uh, they've uh, attacked teachers, they've attacked students. And some schools have been burnt down as well. And just in uh, November 2018, uh, over uh, 78 school children were kidnapped from one school. I reported on that for the BBC. And and these are some of the, you know, excesses you're seeing on the side of the separatists that we have to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, The question really that lingers on my mind is, can we really, you know, can can the English-speaking Cameroonians really win this? On you know with 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 the barrel of a gun, that is the question. I'm wondering too, how helpful or unhelpful have Cameroon's neighbors been? Like I've noticed that the Ni- Nigerian government, uh, they they sent they sent some rebels back. Uh, they they allowed them to be extradited back to Cameroon, and uh, so it, it looks like. The government in Nigeria, if I've got this right, is kind of friendly with the government of Cameroon, yeah. and uh, they're, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think I wouldn't call them rebels. They they are leaders of the secessionist movement, mm-hmm. and most of them, prior to 2017, uh, took a peaceful approach. Mm-hmm. And many of them were involved in direct talks with the government to try and end the. The, the conflict when it just started but the government um, as many people have said many analysts, political analysts have said, was not serious about addressing the core issues um, mm-hmm. you know addressing issues like the form of state government yeah, ministers right. came out and said yeah. um, the topic of cessation or federalism mm-hmm. to say the least was a taboo subject that yeah. it wasn't going to be discussed anyway in Cameroon and so you have these people who became radicalized um, but most of them operating from Nigeria the United States and uh, other European countries and so these ones in Nigeria um, you know among them the leader of the secessionist movement at the time Julius Ayuk Tabe Sesesiko who gathered us, you know, became a rallying force for the secessionist movement, mm-hmm. uh, seeking refuge in Nigeria. And so, I won't celebrate the fact that the, Niger- the Nigerian government, rep- uh, you know, kind of repatriated them, because mm-hmm. that was the breach of, 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 hu- of their human rights. Mm-hmm. Most of them were refugees, some of them were in the process of, of, of securing their refugee status. So that was a complete breach of human rights, and so they were illegally Dep- uh, deported to mm-hmm. Cameroon and held incommunicado for I think over 100 days mm-hmm. nobody knew where they were people thought they had died and so the first day they appeared in court mm-hmm. was uh, uh, w- w- it, it gave a different feeling to the Anglophones because they felt they had been killed right. there were 40 I think 41 of them arrested and only 10 of them have been uh, charged and mm-hmm. the others are still being held Incommunicado. So, at least so a, yeah, there's at least a, a, a bit of relief. Yeah. So why the government celebrates, the Cameroon yeah. government celebrates the fact that they're back. The secessionist movement sees this as, you know, government's own way of saying we're not ready to talk because mm-hmm. you can't say, you know, you're reaching out with an olive branch and yet arresting people and, and, de- and deterring them incommunicado. What sort of, um, I'm just wondering what sort of role churches play here? I think the church uh, has a very fundamental role to play. And indeed, the church has been severely affected in the crisis. We've seen priests, at least three priests or clergy, men have been affected, have been killed. I think two Roman Catholic priests, one was a Kenyan, one was a Cameroonian, and then there was an American missionary who was killed 
in this crisis. We've had seminarians killed in the crisis. We have, we've had pastors killed wow. in the crisis. So I would say the church has a very big role to play. Mm-hmm. Many churches, especially Catholic churches, have closed down. Whole parishes have shut down. Wow. Christians are internally displaced. and So, um, w- I mean, a few times the Pope has said there is a need for the government to address the crisis, to go down to, mm-hmm. you know, to ensure that this doesn't continue. And, you know, it has really left many a political pundit, you know, wondering whether the President Paul Bia would listen to his mm-hmm. uh, uh, religious father yeah. in courts. Um, but I, I, I want to think that, you know, the church obviously has a, a big role to play. Uh, first of all, in ensuring that, um, you know, these cases of abuse uh, are, are not hidden, are documented. And also in, you know, through a concerted effort, ensuring that, you know, the government is held accountable. Because I think the church um, has a very strong and a very strategic place mm-hmm. uh, and role to play in this, in resolving the crisis. Do you think it possible that uh, church leaders could could have a, a, a big uh a role in getting people together is yeah. is, is this possible it's it's actually possible but it also depends on what is going to be the subject of the discussion because the um catholic bishops tried to you know engage in talks and there was a deadlock in those talks because people thought that they were being sponsored by the government to kind of um uh, course the Anglophones maybe probably to drop down their weapons and to come to you know a peaceful resolution of you know let's continue to be one and indivisible and also there was um, um, uh, a, a Cardinal Christian Tumil who is uh, Cardinal Emeritus who uh, was championing a movement an all Anglophone conference that was going to rally all the Anglophone leaders and those who are in the cessationist movement to begin to talk about uh, what the problem is and how, you know, if there were to be a dialogue, what they would present to the government as the ultimate solution. But that also failed very terribly and unfortunately because uh, from that time we've seen, you know, the situation deteriorate as the crisis has only escalated with more and more people being killed. I mean, every day, people are dying, people are being displaced, homes are being destroyed, mm-hmm. st- students continue to stay out of school. So it's so bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I notice that's really uh, distressing is that the government, when they're talking to uh, the international press, talking to other interna- international leaders, seem to be just denying that anything serious is happening, that it's all, it's, I hate to say fake news, but <laughs> but they're basically denying that there is um, a problem. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think it, it's going to be pretty hard to uh, to make change happen until somebody admits that there really is a problem that likely needs some outside, uh, outside help, I think. Yeah, you're right. Um Unfortunately, we've seen the government, um, a government that's not ready to allow for there to be, you know, adequate coverage of the crisis by uh, journalists and especially the international press. And even, uh, like, barring rights bodies from uh, coming into the country to assess the human rights situation, I think Amnesty International was one of those groups that was stopped. and the government goes to the extent of rubbishing the reports that have been published by mm-hmm. uh, rights bodies, Human Rights Watch, Human uh, Amnesty International, uh, and, and other rights bodies. And so it's it's quite funny that the government doesn't want to admit that there is a problem, uh, but yet it wants to uh, talk about solving a problem. And uh, what we've seen is, you know, a deliberate attempt to. Uh, stifle the press to 
you know, kind of prevent journalists from reporting. We've seen journalists who've been arrested and, and who've been tried under the uh, anti-terrorism law that was passed by the government in 2014 to uh, kind of try uh, former Boko Haram suspects. And that law has been used to try journalists who've reported the Anglophone crisis and has also been used to try um, political uh, uh, actors, uh, especially of the opposition, who have also been outspoken and even other uh, dissenting voices, uh, leaders of the oppo- of, of the um, of the secessionist movement, have or are being uh, are being tried under this terrorism law, and many of them face a possible death penalty if found guilty. So that is quite harsh for uh, for a government that is talking peace and that continues to celebrate democracy. Uh, as, 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 they, as, as they say, Cameroon's democracy is maturing. It's something the president always takes pride in and, and stuff like that. But you don't see it being manifested in, real, in the real sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a stable government, government doesn't necessarily mean a fair government. Yep. yep. Do you see any sort of light at the end of the tunnel? Is there? Do you see any way or certain people on the horizon that uh, have the will and perhaps the ability to make something positive happen or is it pretty bleak at the moment? I think it's difficult where we are to see light at the end of the tunnel uh, but I'm hopeful that this is going to uh, pass away, this too will will pass and um, my hope is that you know there is a kind of a form of intervention from 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 you know international bodies um, I, I, my 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 hope also is that you know the government can climb down its high horse mm-hmm. humble itself and reach out to its own citizens i don't think there's any government that can win a war against its citizens um, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I i i feel that the more the government continues to use a heavy-handed approach to kind of try to address this crisis, the more it's going to fail and will continue to fail. And um, we need a ceasefire in Cameroon. We need, we need for um, dialogue and reconciliation. Uh, but unfortunately, the government, we saw the government come out to form what they're calling um, a disarmament and uh, a disarmament um, and a demobilization commission. Uh, I mean, you ca- you can't do that when you not when you have people who are being killed by government and security forces every day. And you're calling on the secessionist movement to drop down their guns mm-hmm. and come out and be welcomed. Right. Who's going to do that? Right. When you see the uh, the defiance of the security forces and to an extent there is no accountability uh, when it comes to the acts of the security forces. The government keeps saying we're going to hold them accountable. We're going to uh, investigate, and also I think that when when the UN says uh, uh, or, or petitions the government to investigate crimes, yeah. uh, that uh, human rights violations are being committed by the government, one begins to wonder how you know fair those investigations can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've, n- I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I've never really seen any fair investigation carried out by the government on the human rights. Uh, breaches that have been committed by its own security forces. There's been so much uh, terrible, so many terrible things done. Uh, probably it's a tall order to. Uh, they're not going. Ha- they're not going to have an appetite to go after the people who mm-hmm. did it because they're going to say perhaps, well, I was. Yeah. Wh- wh- where did the order come from? Yeah. You know, and. Um, so yeah, that, that I see that as a very big sticking point for people getting together. That's for sure. Yep. When when you talk about the uh, conflict uh, sort of being between the English speaking part of the country and the French speaking, you know, thinking about the history too, those are the official languages, as I understand it, yep. of, of Cameroon. But people must have their own languages, their own original languages that they would have spoken. And I wonder just uh, the extent to which people are 
even able to continue to speak their own language? Yeah, Cameroon is a, a very diverse country in terms of ethnicity. We have over 250 ethnic groups in Cameroon, and those lo- uh, their dialects or their local languages are being spoken. Um, I mean, and well preserved. Uh, we we've had um, I mean like. Uh, a rapid development of those local languages with the lexicons and all of those being put in place and we've had the Bible being translated into many local languages in Cameroon both the New and the Old Testament in which that is to show the uh, the extent to which these languages are, have been developed and so uh, English and French yes they are the official languages but uh, people continue to hold very close to their Local uh, dialects. Um, I mean, is there w- is 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 the way of them identifying themselves? Because those existed even before the colonization of of Cameroon by the Germans. Uh, so uh, those languages are there and are spoken. In addition to French and English, which are the la- national languages. Um, but I have to say that many people have misconstrued the crisis to be a language crisis. In Cameroon, it isn't a language uh, language crisis in the sense that you know people are fighting to maintain the uh, the English language. No, people are only fighting to maintain you know their identity, um, an identity that existed uh, prior to uh, independence and reunification of the two Cameroons. Uh, so it's it's nothing close to what many international uh, press or media organs have reported to mm-hmm. be a language crisis. Mm-hmm. So you've got a uh, bit of music that Peter has suggested. Do you want to talk about? Who, y- yeah, who this is, is a song by uh, Richard Kings. He's a famous artist in Cameroon and he sings about Africa. So it's just like an outcry from his heart talking about the need for, for peace uh, in, Cameroon, in Cameroon and in Africa. And I think really uh, it's high time that we we saw peace in, in in Africa, in most African countries, and in Cameroon. Okay, we'll just uh, we'll play it here, and then we'll continue our discussion and uh, talk about uh, the troubles in in Cameroon with our guest Peter Ta. Autour de moi, qui saigne autour de moi, 
inspiring uh, music that we were listening to. Richard King's. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's from the English side, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it almost makes me think of the the Troubles in Ireland, where yeah. you've got the Catholics and and uh, the Protestants having at it, and you've got good people on both sides, and, yeah. and somehow they can't make it work. And there has to be, to always be a way for for resolutions, you know, for people to reach out. And I think that that is what has really held many countries behind, you know, that ability for people to reach out and to have a compromise and to prefer peace over, over war. Because in any situation, when in any war situation, no one, there's no winner. No. There's no winner. One other thing occurs to me in Ireland, um, in large part, there there was a movement of women who were really uh, they're tired of seeing their sons die, yeah. and and they're the ones that were a, a great force for peace in Ireland. I'm just wondering if if women are taking a leadership role like this in Cameroon. Yeah, I think um, it, what we saw uh, in in that was in 2017 when the crisis just you know, started going out of hand. One of the biggest uh, protests was 
called by women from the English speaking regions and they really took the forefront mm-hmm. marching and waving peace plants and peace plants in Cameroon is a symbol of peace ah. so they were simply saying we want peace we want peace uh, but unfortunately the government didn't understand that message and now they're having to deal with a bigger problem which is an armed movement in Cameroon mm-hmm. uh, but we've seen women who have come out to stage sit down protests um, calling for peace in, mm-hmm. in the English speaking regions of Cameroon we've had very strong voices uh, for, you know women who are standing up and saying there is a need for peace because as we speak most of the villages in the English speaking regions of Cameroon have been deserted and women are left behind to bury the dead we've seen videos of women digging graves uh, mass graves unfortunately burying at least sometimes five people in one grave uh, in, a, in, in most Cameroonian cultures uh, it's not really in a place of women to bury mm-hmm. the dead mm-hmm. and if you see women burying the dead it's to tell you how uh, bad the situation has become mm-hmm. yeah, so women are really standing out and women are highlighting the need for peace in Cameroon you have Women in all walks of life, women who simply don't want to identify with political parties, but who just want to see Cameroon enjoy peace again. And uh, now we're going to switch gears here a little bit. Not only do we have the secessionist problems in, uh, in the south, but the country has problems in the north. Yeah, for over uh, seven years, Cameroon has been dealing with the Boko Haram crisis in the far north or in the northern regions. Uh, I know when we talk about Boko Haram, many people think it's a problem that is limited to Nigeria, but uh, the Lake Chad Basin uh, region has been hard hit by Boko Haram that wants to carve out a caliphate that spreads to the northern part of Cameroon and also to part the part of Chad. And so you have this fierceless enemy, uh, uh, you know, that is also faceless, that keeps being a thorn in the flesh of, of Cameroon. So Cameroon is actually being hard hit by two very difficult crises. Uh, one to the north, that is the Boko Haram, and of course the Anglophone crisis, crisis we've been talking about. But the Boko Haram crisis really became very serious for Cameroon since uh, 2013 and we've seen numerous, numerous attacks by these Boko Haram insurgents on innocent people. Uh, they just attack villages and burn down houses and kill people and attack security and government forces. And But much more, you know, you, we started to see them uh, carrying out suicide bombings uh, on ordinary people in crowded places like markets and other, you know, mosques. And these attacks have claimed the lives of so many people, so many civilians. And so the government put uh, put up a very strong fight against Boko Haram. And that fight has only been very successful because of the backing of the international community. Yeah. We saw the United States that sent uh, forces to train uh, the uh, Rapid Intervention Battalion, which is a special branch in the military, the Cameroon Cameroon military, Mm -hmm. to combat Boko Haram. And they've been doing so very successfully until the human rights situation in the English-speaking regions became very uh, bad. And the government and the U.S. government decided to pull uh, part of their military support, and so uh, that fight against Boko Haram has also come with lots of human rights uh, violations. We've seen. I mean, before I talk about the human rights violations, let me just talk about how bad Boko Haram is. My my brother used to fight in that part of the country. Uh, he's of late. But he fought the Boko Haram, and I l- I heard stories firsthand of, you know, how serious this was, you know, t- a fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Cameroon was initially ill-equipped 
to fight Boko Haram because yeah. Boko Haram was well armed, yeah. well organized. They were ready to die for one thing, just to form, uh, you know, a caliphate. They were they were anti uh, Western civilization and they hated anything that represented Western civilization, and so they they caused a lot of havoc, you know. But, but when the fight became very uh, fierce, then we started to see human rights violations. Because when you're fighting such an enemy, you have to uh, exercise restraint, isn't it? And the, the security forces who had watched their own pals die in the f- battlefront, they started to take matters into their own hands. Mm-hmm. They started to summarily execute some of the suspects. They started to commit other, you know, other, other uh, crimes. And recently there was a video that emerged online and was, you know, the BBC and I think other rights groups, they kind of really investigated and found out the execution of, of women and children by the, by the Cameroon uh, military because they were suspected to be having links with Boko Haram and this kind of made uh, international headlines. Uh, but, you know, what, 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 what has been very concerning is the fact that, you know, you don't, you, it's difficult to say who is a Boko Haram suspect or who mm-hmm. is not. Because sometimes, overnight, you have boys who join the Boko Haram and fight against the, the military and kill innocent mm-hmm. people, civilians. And then by day, they're in the mosques praying. And, and you know, and mm-hmm. having you know, living in a normal life in courts. So northern uh, northern Nigeria and northern northern Cameroon is basically uh, populated mm-hmm. by. Uh, there's a pretty good percentage of Muslim people there. Yes, it's predominantly Muslim. Okay. Yeah. So you you they they are very identi- They they share many similarities the, the, from the culture to the you know uh, to the. Uh, the culture, the geog- the geography of these regions is basically the same. So it's div- very easy for Boko Haram insurgents to infiltrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's why they've continued to survive in this region because they master the terrain. And just a couple of days, there was another attack on uh, on uh, in which uh, at least uh, one security force died and uh, died and. Uh, also, a civi- at least two civilians were killed. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, they've been using lots of suicide bombings, using, you know, uh, mostly uh, female suicide bombers uh, who are so easy to brainwash, you know. Sure. Uh, they're told that, you know, killing people who comes with a great reward from Allah. Right. And, yeah. But you also have a strong Muslim community that is standing out to say, um, they don't welcome that exactly. kind of really, you know, th- that the, the extreme uh, sure. extremist views yep. of the Boko Haram. Your mainstream Muslim people there yeah. are horrified by that just as much as we are. Yeah. yeah. Something we haven't <coughs> talked about at all is: uh, is there um, a concern with respect to climate change issues in Cameroon, and is that contributing to any sort of human rights issues that? would identify yeah I, I i am not very versed with um you know climate change issues but obviously it's it's a global issue and it has hit cameroon in in in, in very high proportions uh, where just like uh in many other african countries you have um, floodings and you have droughts and all of those things but much more the problem of deforestation is very standing out, standing out very clearly uh, to be a major one for for the country, and you know wildlife poaching and uh, poaching and all of those uh, other um, wildlife conservation issues. Uh, so there's, there's there's been a very strong campaign uh, on climate change, but more and more you have. Um, People who are specializing in this area, you know, to begin to address it in in the right way, um, uh, because uh, up until recently, um, climate change was seen as you know something that was far fetched. But we're seeing the realities, 
in terms of prolonged uh, droughts and other uh, problems that farmers are facing and and it, and and, and it, you know it begins to you know pose a serious uh, threat to to people as well and so there's a need to address climate change as well as as the country grapples with all these other issues uh, security concerns in the northern part and the uh, anglophone crisis in the uh, southwest and northwest which are the english speaking regions of cameroon mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um and i was wondering too like boko haram it costs money to buy guns and explosives and all that stuff does anyone know where the boko haram is getting their money from well boko haram they they, they kind of try to take over a couple of uh, states in in nigeria and succeeded for you know the most part until the nigerian government put up a very strong fight so they 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 they, they do get their funding and now they, they 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 kind of you know also get affiliation with isis uh that could possibly mean that they are getting more and more support from other uh, sources like maybe probably from the ISIS and there's the Islamic State mm-hmm. and so they, they yeah they, they do they've taken over a few you know places where you know they are generating income and they're able to, to, to sell probably raw materials from some of the areas where they've that have been under their control uh, but they've really been pushed um to occupy very limited territory in Nigeria and also part of Cameroon and Chad and so um, it would be difficult I mean we're just watching to see how long they can survive but it's really it really takes people aback when you hear they've carried out another attack because for a very long time we've not seen them uh, take responsibility for any attack until recently and so it only points to how uh, orga- well organized this group is and the extent uh, to which they want to go mm-hmm. to make a point that they are still in control of those territories. Yeah, well, when, when they're making their attacks, I'm just curious, are they attacking non-Muslim areas or are they attacking Muslim areas? I, I think anything that represents, you know, any form of Western civilization. So they basically want a society that doesn't reflect anything or that doesn't identify with the West. So a Western style school would be a target. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they attack mostly, uh, they they also consider the Muslim, that's why they've been attacking most. Mm -hmm. So they consider um, other Muslims as as, as infidels, so uh, and it's kind of interesting the, the the extent to which they are extreme to the point where they think other Muslims aren't Muslim enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there there's always that kind of Shia Sunni divide. Yeah, that you get to a place like Regina and it, it's it's not a big deal, but you get out into the mm. Into a place like yeah. you know, Nigeria and Cameroon, mm. it becomes a big deal. Yeah, and and uh, just to to point out that just la- uh, I think last uh, late last year, uh, the governments of Cameroon, uh, Nigeria, and Chad they again came together and to re-strategize to 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 combat Boko Haram, and that was just to say that Boko Haram is still a problem, it's still a it's still a threat to human life still a threat to property and it's still a threat to you know the survival of these regions uh yes wow it it makes your head spin doesn't it yeah there's just yeah, sure. so many problems yeah and um you just wonder what what's the from from our perspective here it just what can we do is, is there anything that canadians can do well i th- i think um I recently I read that the Canadian government is going to send aid uh to Cameroon uh, and my my when I heard about this my you know the aid was actually going uh, it's supposed to go to the anglophone regions the english speaking regions that have been hard hit by the political crisis the ongoing crisis 
and I learned that the aid is going to go through the government and my my greatest uh, desire and wish is that this should be properly managed to mm-hmm. trickle down to the people who really need it and badly need it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I think the, 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 like other governments, the Canadian government sh- should be, you know, able to, to call out the Cameroon government mm-hmm. and, you know, probably follow up to be sh- to ensure that there is a proper way of resolving this crisis, especially, yeah. you know, that there is a coming together around a dialogue table mm-hmm. to address core issues. Um, but much more, I think other other governments like the uh, UK government and the uh, French governments that were involved from initially with Cameroon uh, from the times of colonialism. Mm-hmm. They should be much more involved, right? Uh, the, really so. I just wonder, does the UN have a presence there? Do they have a role? Yeah. They, they, as we speak, I think this first uh, of May, uh, a, represent, a UN representative is visiting Cameroon. Uh, she is actually... She, I've, I, I, I don't get the name again. They, I just forgot the name. But she, she is uh, from the human rights uh, section of the UN and she's visiting Cameroon. And we have um, um, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, who visited Cameroon. But many people have said that the UN has not done enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, we have, um, in March, the US Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, Thibault Nagy, uh, who visited Cameroon and called on the government to free the opposition leader, Maurice Campton, also to try to take serious measures to resolve the Anglophone crisis. And so you, you find out that the U.S. is more engaged uh, in trying to see that the government is holding those responsible for human rights breaches accountable, mm-hmm. uh, but much more uh, finding a solution, a, lo- a lasting solution to the crisis. Uh, but like we said uh, earlier on, there's been a strong uh, fight back from the government when uh, when when uh, uh, Nagi uh, came out and spoke, the government criticized him mm-hmm. and uh, said he was interfering in the internal affairs of the country. Uh, and many other people who've tried to speak and address the issues in Cameroon have been labeled as interfering with the internal mm-hmm. affairs of Cameroon. And so uh, you see a government that is, is, isn't willing to listen uh, to its own citizens and also to the international body, the international community. Yeah, I'm just thinking too that it wouldn't help to have the government that is presently in place in the United States. Their foreign policy seems to be, I don't know, in disarray to to say the least. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I I think um, really. Um, the Trump administration has uh, doesn't really have a very strong policy uh, when it comes to Africa, and yeah, I think you're right to say so because um, we've not really seen uh, a strong desire to try to resolve some of the crises that are existing in in Africa, mm-hmm. and on the contrary, you s- we see him trying to r- cut down on the uh, U.S. military presence in Africa which is only going to cause more problems uh, when you have some of the uh, regimes that are willing to go to any lengths to stay in power, to violate human rights and stay in power. Um, I think that the U.S. the US military presence kind of acts like um, a deterrent, you know, to uh, mm-hmm. security forces that are going to these extremes and you know, carrying out excesses when when trying to enf- you know uh, enforce peace and security. I I just like to uh, say that this has been a a very very interesting pr- discussion, uh, Peter, and I appreciate so much that you approached us about uh, uh, having this program and this podcast uh, done because. Um, it, Cameroon is not a country that, you know, gets a lot of 
international attention focus, despite the really, really serious human rights issues that are existing there. Um, you know, when I've read now the reports from Amnesty that talk about uh, the extensive uh, torture in that country, mm. uh, it's really a ser- serious concern. And I, I, I'm most appreciative of you uh, mm. joining us for the p- podcast. Yeah, I do really appreciate the opportunity for me to come and talk about the situation in Cameroon. I think uh, we, 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 as a journalist, I feel you know that I have to continue to talk about the situation because I've lived it, and I have seen uh, firsthand some of the excesses from both sides as I've been reporting on the crisis uh, for the BBC and also you know to an extent for other uh, media organs. I've seen these violations and they, 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 they really put me on the edge. <laughs> and, you know, as opportunities show up, I want to talk about these things, but much more uh, really desiring that these things will be dealt with by the government and that peace will return to Cameroon. Thanks very much, Peter. As we close today's Human Rights Radio show, we hope you've enjoyed listening to and have learned something new about human rights for all people. For information on past and upcoming shows with links to human rights actions and information, go to amnestysaskatchewan.ca. Peter Benenson, founder of Amnesty International, said, Only when the last prisoner of conscience has been freed, the last torture chamber has been closed, The United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights is a reality for the world's people. Will our work be done?